Free indeed. Amen. Oh my goodness, just an incredible thought. Happy 4th of July to you. Uh, such an exciting time to be alive. Gifts God has given us, just incredible. And, and younger students, I definitely do welcome you in here this morning. Uh, I love the chance to get to share with you. I love developing our relationships with the younger students. Um, I know as a kid growing up, uh, the senior pastor at our church uh, actually ended up leading um, the youth group a little bit, the junior high youth group, not when I was in it, um, but we just kind of had a, a relationship with him growing up because we're kind of family friends, and so that was kind of a cool thing, and, and uh, just having been a person that's worked with students basically my entire life at this point, um, I just love the chance to get to hang out with you. So listen carefully, listen carefully, and see what you can get out of that, that sheet that uh, Miss, Miss Marcy made for you for this coming week. Hopefully you get the sense that uh, I'm excited to be back with you. I was excited to be here last week. It was a blast to just be here and worship. It was awesome to have our missionaries from Haiti here with us. Um, pray for that mission. Obviously, if you're watching the news and you know that a hurricane just went over the southern part of the island this last week, that is where their mission is located, is the southern part of the island. And so just be in prayer for that. Um, if you didn't know, there was also a uh, small plane crash um, yesterday, uh, probably the overnight hours the day before, but yesterday in Haiti, um, the way you tr get transported from Port-au-Prince out to a lot of these places now is via airplane because the roads aren't safe, and that plane was carrying some missionaries down there. It typically is. That's who usually uses them. And so another mission down there that, that has been affected probably on the south side of the island, and so be in prayer for those people. We have to be thinking about those people. What a blessing it is that they got to share with us last week, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're starting a new series today, and I'm going to tell you all about it here, here shortly as we begin. But I have a question for you to begin with. Do you, raise your hand, I want to see, who in here likes asking questions? Who is that person in class? Just raise your hand, proud, that was you in class. You're willing to be the one to ask the question. If you think back to your school days, that means probably the rest of you were the ones that were sitting in class. You had questions. But you were just hoping, beyond all hope, that someone else would raise their hand and ask the question for you, so that way you could learn the answer. For most people, asking questions is one of the best ways to learn. Hopefully, you've experienced that. When we're engaged in a topic or discussion, our minds will naturally start to wonder and arrive at different questions that we have things that we, we maybe don't quite understand or something that we want to mo know more about, things that we desire to learn about. And if you're like me, sometimes those questions begin forming inside of me and they completely derail me from whatever the topic at hand actually is because I get distracted with the questions that I have. You see, when we, are, when we reach out and we ask questions, there's this neat thing that happens in our brains. There's actually connections that are being formed. And as a result, we are better able to remember those answers to those questions. We retain the information better when we're asking questions. If you didn't know, that's called learning. Yeah, not a new concept, but here's the problem. It's a great thing, but a lot of us adults have kind of shut it down. Now, I don't mean that we think we know everything. That's, that's not it. We just don't ask a lot of questions anymore. We kind of know what we know, and we're just happy with that. We're, we're, we're good to go. We don't often challenge ourselves to go and learn more, to go and grow deeper, to expand our knowledge, because after all, that would be work. And no one wants to do any extra work in these times, right? Here's the problem. Believers, we should be different. 
We should be very different. If nothing else, we should at least be lifelong students. I know some of you hate that word. But at best, we should be lifelong students of at least our Savior and his ways. You see, beyond that, you got to understand that he created us so that we could learn and so that we could do so much more within this context, this environment, this earth, than we actually get to do. The mind that God has given you is incredible. Yes, your mind is incredible. I do not care. He does not care what phase of life you are in. Your mind, whatever state you believe it's in, is still an incredible, miraculous thing. These minds that we have, regardless of what we think about, it's a gift of God. And we should constantly be trying to expand our knowledge of Him, our Creator. And as we grow in our faith, we should desire to become more like Him. Now, we say that all the time. You should become more like Jesus. You become more like Jesus. Yes. How? How do you actually become more like Jesus? We'll never become Jesus. Don't hope to. But how do we become more like Him? Well, there's a great way. You first, you start by learning more about him. You study, you read, you observe others that are living out his ways in the best way they can. But you see, it goes beyond just the learning portion. There has to be an implementation of the learning. You got to put the things you learn into practice. It's just like life skills. There's no different. If we learn our life skills that we have, but we never use them they're completely useless, and ultimately, we completely forget them. Don't believe me? Adults, consider the word math. I could throw you an Algebra 2 problem right now. You all took it. You're going to look at it like it's Greek and go, I have no idea what this is or how to do it. And you, So you hand it to your fifth grader, and they can figure it out for you. You see, life skills, when we don't use them, they go away. When we begin to put our knowledge of Jesus, what we learn about him into action, then you see Jesus finally becomes real each and every one of us. As you and I show the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus offers us to others, then suddenly those things become so much more real in our lives and we begin to realize the complete love and grace and mercy that God has for each and every one of us. It's an incredible transformation. We begin to experience the rewards that Jesus promises us in this lifetime here on this earth. Those fruit of the Spirit begin to grow. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They're wonderful things. They become real fruit in our lives if we put these things we've learned into practice. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at 10 questions. 10 questions that Jesus asked. I want you to think about that for just a moment. I want you to listen carefully to the questions each week, or I'm going to do two a week, that Jesus asked, and think about your response to that questions. His questions are usually very deep and very probing, but it would also be very easy to give a really superficial, quick answer to his questions, too, and not really think about what he's truly asking. Usually, when you review them a little bit further, his questions will lead you into a deeper relationship with him. How about you? Have you ever had questions for God? Has anyone ever asked God a question? I bet you have. I know I surely have. What was your motivation? Why did you ask 
the question? Was it to obtain some form of knowledge or get something from him, maybe? Was it to try to understand a life event or, or something that happened? Was it just try, to try to learn more about who God is? As I said earlier, it is, it is a great way to learn about Jesus, to grow closer to him, to ask questions and to seek answers. But in order to grow, fully grow, we've got to ask questions expecting that God will actually give us a response. And then, with a willing heart and a willing mind to receive that response, even if it's not the answer that we wanted. In the culture we live in, people ask questions for a lot of different reasons. This is the most annoying one. Some people ask good questions and never listen to the response. Do any of you have children? Hmm, yes. And then last the question, again, five minutes later, right, because they didn't listen at all. Hopefully none of us fall into that category. Some of us ask questions. Have you ever watched a White House news conference, press conference? People ask questions just so that people will see them asking the question and think, wow, that person asked really good questions. I don't know what value there is in that, but that absolutely is what they're, they're trying to impress each other with their questions, not actually trying to obtain any information or get answers. It's crazy. Others, of course, ask questions in an attempt to trick someone to deceive them, maybe to, to pull them out, information out of them they didn't really want to reveal or, or to stump them with the questions that they're asking. This happened all the time to Jesus in the New Testament. The religious leaders would ask questions in hopes that either A, he couldn't come up with an answer, or B, his answer would incriminate him and they could carry him away to prison or maybe even kill him right then and there. In the time of Christ, questions were used all of the time. They were an essential part of learning, of teaching, of debate. As rabbis would teach their students, they would often ask very deep questions of their students, questions that forced them to think very, very hard about the topic that they were learning about. It wouldn't be uncommon at all for the students to ask a question only to have their professor, if you will, answer with a question that made them think deeper. Now, Jesus employed this technique all the time as he debated with those religious leaders. One of my favorites, this isn't one of the questions for today, but one of my favorites comes from Mark chapter 11, verse 27. It began with Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, and while he was walking in the temple courts, the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, they all came to him and they asked him, hey, by what authority, Jesus, are you doing all the things that you're doing? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus replied, well, great question, guys. That's awesome. But let me ask you a question first. I just want to see where you're at here. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So he asked them a very simple question. John's baptism, John the Baptist, his baptism, was it from heaven or is it of human origin? Just, just tell me that. So they began discussing amongst themselves. And they said, well, if we say it's from heaven, then Jesus is obviously going to ask, well, then why didn't you believe him? <laughs> Oops. But if we say it's of human origin, then uh-oh then the people are going to come after us because they believe John really was a prophet, so they're kind of stuck, as Jesus' questions usually would do to them. So they answered, Jesus, we don't know. They just revealed they did. And Jesus said, well, you know what? I guess I don't know either. I'm not going to tell you where I get my authority because it doesn't matter to you anyway. And he moves right on. It's a great question, guys. Well done. I would love to answer it, but you know... You're not going to give me a truthful answer, so I don't need to answer your question. If you would give me a truthful answer, I'll absolutely tell you the truth, and it will set you free. But you're not willing to hear the truth right now, so there's no point in having this discussion. Though no specific answer was given in that moment, 
I guarantee you those leaders got an answer. <laughs> they learned a whole lot from Jesus on that day. The whole concept, have you ever thought of it this way? The whole concept of Jesus asking humans questions fascinates me. It would kind of be like hanging out in a room with Albert Einstein and him turning around from the chalkboard and asking us, hey, can you help me solve this equation? <laughs> right. Okay, or let's modern terms, we're all chilling with Elon, you know, down at the coffee shop, and he says, hey, I really need to make my batteries more efficient. Can you guys help me figure out how to do that? No, no, we can't. Your thinking is way beyond ours. It just is as is our God's. Now, obviously, Jesus' questions were different. Scholars have noted he actually recorded in Scripture. There's more than 300 different questions in the Gospels alone. And remember, that's not everything Jesus did and said. The answers, however, which he, by the way, rarely actually gave, interestingly enough, always seemed to point back to him. Or they exposed the motives of those that were asking the question. Best part of all, Jesus, of course, never needed to ask a question. He's omniscient. He literally knows everything. He literally knows all of the answers. So for him to ask a question really is kind of foolish from our perspective, but in reality so beneficial to all of us. He asked his questions in an attempt to help his audience grow closer to him, to learn more about him and, of course, his father. His questions would help unlock the mysteries of who he was the events surrounding his coming to this earth, even the reason why he came, the way in which he would depart, and ultimately when he would come again. His questions led people back to the laws of Moses. Remember, he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, and it helped more clearly define those laws and ultimately see how all of that pointed directly to him and his coming. So it's going to be exciting next couple weeks as we look at a few of these questions of Jesus. We're going to look at the context that he asked them. We're going to look at who he was talking to. We're going to try to figure out sometimes why he even asked it and what answer he might have been hoping to receive from the person he was questioning. And did he get the answer that he was looking for? All interesting questions as we look at what Jesus was doing. But here's the most important part for us today, and that is this. I want all of us, every single one of us, every question we read, to imagine that Jesus is talking directly to you. And he is asking you that very question. Just close your eyes and imagine that Jesus is asking you the question, how amazing would that be? As if you were literally talking face-to-face, eye-to-eye with Jesus. And his words reach through all of time and space to directly connect to you through the Bible as if the Bible is the written word of God spoken to us. <laughs> oh, wait. It is. <laughs> That's right. We can do that, and it's not improper at all. This week, we're going to look at two questions. I've tried to pair the questions up so they kind of go together. They make a little sense together. The first question today is simply this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Now, the first example of Jesus asking this question, you're not actually going to find the, the full question written out. It's kind of implied in the text. The statement takes place in the middle of the most famous passage in all of the Bible. It's a conversation that he's having with a religious leader named Nicodemus, amazing character in the book of John, one of my favorite characters in all of the New Testament. Nicodemus had come to Jesus to ask him very serious, very genuine, great questions. 
He was truly seeking answers from this Jesus. And Jesus gave him the answers. But Nicodemus wasn't quite ready to fully embrace those answers just yet. He couldn't fully process them. They were so radical, so beyond what Nicodemus thought he knew, so different from what he expected the answers to be that he just couldn't immediately respond and react to that truth that he was receiving. So when Jesus tells him in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Some of you might not have heard the question in there, but as Nicodemus was listening, I guarantee you he did. He absolutely, as he heard those words, would have said, whoever believes in him, wait a minute, do I? Do I believe what this guy is telling me? Is this for real? The John 3, the chapter of John 3 ends without any answer to that question. We don't know about Nicodemus, but there are some context clues later in the book of John that reveal that maybe, just maybe, Nicodemus did arrive at a conclusion because he and just one other man, Joseph of Arimathea, were there at Jesus' burial, providing spices in an empty tomb to place the body of Christ in. So somewhere there was a change. We don't know how deep the change went, but somewhere he was convinced. On a different occasion, Jesus specifically asked the question. It takes place as Jesus arrives in the town of Bethany only to find that his, his close friend Lazarus had passed away. When Lazarus' sister Martha runs out to Jesus, she finds him there and she tells him, hey Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't anticipate that being a pleasant tone that she was offering to Jesus in that moment. I'm guessing she was at least upset, if not angry, that the Messiah was not there. So Jesus replies in John 11, Verse 23, he said to her, your brother will rise again, which Martha immediately came back and answered, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, I don't know if her words in that moment were full of hope, if they were full of grief, if it was like, a, yeah, I know, Jesus, you've told us all about this, but he's dead now, and I'm having trouble dealing with that. I don't know her tone. It could have been any of those. We really don't know. So Jesus just reassures her and says, hey, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me, though he will die, they will live. Whoever lives, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Point blank asks her. So this is a woman in grief. She is hysterical. He point blank asks her, do you believe what I'm telling you right now? Without hesitation, she says, yes, yes. Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into this world. No hesitation. Jesus asks, do you believe? Do you really think this is true? And her instant reply is, yes, Lord, I believe that those who believe in you will never die. I believe that you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. More importantly, you are my Messiah. What an incredible answer. I ask you, if Jesus came to you in that moment that she was experiencing all of the emotion, the pain, the suffering, the anger she might have even had toward Jesus for not being there, would that have been how you answered his question? Or would you have struggled just a little to get that answer out? She didn't hesitate. And it was with absolute certainty and confidence that she throws that answer back at Jesus. There's one other instance where Jesus asks a very similar question. This one just occurs as he's traveling, and he's approached by two blind men. They ask Jesus for mercy, 
And then Jesus in Matthew 9, 28 says, when he's gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you guys believe I can actually heal you? Really? You really believe that? Instantly they replied, yes, Lord. And with that acknowledgement, Jesus heals them. In fact, in verse 29, he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Yes, they believed. And because of their belief, look what happened. The answer to Jesus' question was revealed instantaneously as he tells them their faith is what actually restored their sight. What a way to answer the master's question. Look at their instantaneous reward that they hoped to receive, and there it was. I asked at the beginning for every one of us to imagine that these questions were being asked directly of us by Jesus. He was looking us in the eye and asking us, do you believe? How would you answer that? Maybe the question for you is, do you believe that he's the Messiah? Do you believe he's the Son of God? Do you believe that he can save you? Do you believe that he can forgive you of your sins? Yes, that sin, the one that you can't forgive yourself of. Do you believe he can genuinely forgive you of that sin as well? You know, today would be a great day to answer that question. <laughs> Simply, yes, Lord, I believe. And for the first time, you can have a freedom that we're not allowed to speak of much in this country anymore. The fee freedom only found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in our Bill of Rights or our Constitution. Nope, it's found in the blood of Jesus. It's an incredible thought. Do you believe? I hope that you respond. If you haven't ever made that proclamation yet, I hope you respond today to that truth. The second question that we're going to look at today is actually the exact opposite of the first. It's found in Matthew 14. You can turn there and read the whole story. We're going to summarize the story. Let's be honest. It's really easy to believe in God when we're just asking for our daily bread, when we're asking God to bless our jobs or protect our family or, or whatever the little thing is. But what is it like when God asks you or I to do the impossible? Is it a little harder to believe in Him then? Or to do the thing that you just don't want to do? never had that before. Or maybe to do something that you look at and you're like, God, this just doesn't make sense. Why would I want to do this? Why are you wanting me to do this? This scene takes place on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. It's a very famous story. The disciples are in the boat. They have to be talking about what had just happened the day before as Jesus fed 10,000 plus, maybe as many as 20,000 people on that hillside. When all of a sudden the waves and the winds pick up, the disciples are all on their own. They left Jesus, so they thought, back on the shore to dismiss the crowd. Late into the night, they see what they thought was a ghost walking out on the water, and it says they were terrified. Now, this is the famous moment in Scripture where Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and Peter sees him and instantly says, Lord, if that's you, Jesus, if that's really you out there, then hey, tell me to come out to you, man. I would love to be awesome. I'd love to play this game. This would be fun. So Jesus, I can just imagine as casually as can be, oh, no, come on. Just come on. Come on, Peter. Let's do this thing. Let's go. And it says Peter got down. He got out of the boat. He started walking to Jesus. It was going great until he looked around and realized, wait a minute, the wind, the waves, the storm, the water, ah, instantly begins to sink because you can't do that, right? It's not possible to walk on water. And he figured that out very quickly. So he 
cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, as he will do you and I when we fall too. But then he goes a step further and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why do you doubt? The second question, Peter comes to Jesus begging him to join him on the water because after all, that would be really cool and nobody else was looking to jump out the boat. What a miracle to be a part of. And surprisingly, probably to Peter, Jesus grants his request and says, come on, let's go. Peter begins walking on the water, and he himself begins to doubt. Then he begs of Jesus once again. Notice there was no doubt in his asking for help. <laughs> He's like, I know you could save me, save me, Jesus. I'm going to die. There was no doubt there. He was pretty certain that, that was going to happen. Jesus honors the request, but this time he calls Peter and the other disciples out by default in the boat. You of little faith, why did you doubt These men had just seen incredible things. And for all of us that make the claim, well, if God would just perform a miracle, if God would just do that, then I would believe, no, you wouldn't. These 12 men saw everything and they still doubted. That's not what faith's about. They saw everything he had accomplished. After all, the day before, Jesus had just turned the boys' lunch into the Golden Crowd Buffet with leftovers. And they still doubted. They watched Jesus walking across the water like it was absolutely no big deal. And when it came time to show their own faith, they wavered. I'm going to remind us, keep making this personal. We've all had doubts. If Jesus looked you in the eye today and asked you, why why did you doubt in that time? Why do you doubt right now? What would you say? Are you still doubting Jesus after everything you've seen him do within the scriptures? Are you still doubting Jesus after you've seen everything he's done in your life? What part of God's word do you have the hardest time believing? Have you ever asked anyone for help in explaining or understanding those kinds of things to help you come to a point of belief, or are you trying to figure it out on your own? Stop. Stop and ask someone with some more life experience some more biblical knowledge, some more, maybe a deeper relationship, at least you feel, than you have with Jesus, and allow them to guide you into that form of belief that you're missing out on right now. Have you prayed that, well, God will give you the peace you need to get past whatever it is that you doubt? There's an incredible and very simple prayer that you can pray right now today. It's one line, it's eight words, it's simply one sentence, eight words long. It's found in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 24. This man has brought his son to Jesus, desperate for him to be healed. He's been possessed by a demon his whole life. As the man is afraid for the boy's life, the man shares the boy's condition with Jesus, which, of course, Jesus already knew, but the man passionately pours it out. And in verse 22, he says this to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The man believes Jesus can help. He's going to him with his request, but in his sentence, there's a little doubt revealed, isn't there? If, if, Jesus, you can do anything, would you please have pity on us? I love Jesus' response. I don't think this was the time for Jesus to smile or smirk in a response, but it's what comes to my mind as Jesus says, if you can. If you, do you have any idea, man, who you're talking to right now? Clearly, you have a little or you wouldn't be here, so do you really, really, you really if I can? Come on, man. Come on. Everything's possible. Everything's possible for one who believes. 
he tells this grieving father. <clears throat> and it says immediately, immediately, <clears throat> excuse me, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. There's the most important part. I do believe, but God, help me overcome my unbelief. Eight words. That's what you need to be praying today. If you have doubts, if you have those fears, pray that prayer to your heavenly Father. He will answer you. If you have doubts, that's okay. But you must confess them to God. Come forward today and confess those doubts. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. We all have questions. These are Jesus' questions for us. They were all specifically asked to individuals or, or groups that Jesus was ministering or preaching or being confronted by. But they may, <clears throat> but these questions have all been inspired by the Holy Spirit to be written down and recorded so that you and I could read them this very day and be challenged in the same ways that those original hearers would have been challenged. Not like we think of today. God's word is absolutely alive, but it is not alive like the world keeps trying to make it alive. It is not constantly changing to try to fit the narrative of what we humans think is right and wrong, but it is alive, and it's active in your heart and in mine. It is alive, and it is changing hearts, and it is changing lives right now. It is alive, and it is altering the eternity of millions of people across this globe right this very morning. It is alive, and it is active, and it can change your heart and your mind right now. It's that powerful. It's incredible. So as we close today, Jesus looks at us. He asks us, hey, first, do you believe if you have never made that confession of faith, if you've never pronounced your faith in Jesus Christ, then today is the day to confess, I do believe and obtain that eternal freedom in Christ. Absolutely let freedom ring, the freedom of Jesus. But he also might be coming today, maybe you're a longtime follower of Christ and you just are struggling mightily. He already knows that. And he asks you right now, why do you doubt? Come to me and let me offer you my peace. Father God, as the time comes where anyone can come forward for prayer, anyone can come to know your name, anyone online could reach out to us, we could meet with them and help them through what they're struggling with right now or, or help, them lead, help lead them into that relationship with you. I pray that people take advantage of those moments. On a day like today where anyone can get up and walk right down here to the front or walk right over to the prayer room, and offer up what's on their heart, in their soul right now. Father, that's an incredible freedom. We have no fear in walking forward to do that, and yet we sit in fear and we refuse to come forward because we're worried about how others might see us. Father, that's exactly why you died. There is no fear in your perfect love. It doesn't matter what other people think of us. It only matters what you think of us. You want us to be close to you. You want us to ask questions. You want us to learn and to grow become more like you in this lifetime. Father, may we strive to do that as an individual and as a body of believers here at Berea. We thank you for these moments together, but we pray these moments don't end, that these relationships with you, the relationships with each other continue to grow outside of these walls, overflow into this community, develop relationships with others that do not know you yet, that aren't living out your word, that don't even know your word really exists or what it says. Father, we have the freedom to go and share that incredible, incredible news with 
Let us do that even this very day as we celebrate in our country. Father, we love you. And we pray if there's anyone that has never made that confession of faith, that they come forward today and confess that they do believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.